This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So I'm just, um, I I had this conversation yesterday with a couple of friends who watch an enormous amount of television, in my opinion, and my husband kind of falls into that category as well. It's his form of relaxation. It is not mine. And I have a lot of friends who will tell me, you know, that they just finished three seasons of whatever show. And I'll just look at them and I'll go, episodes are in each season. And they'll say, oh, I don't know, eight, ten. I said, so you just watched like 24 episodes of a show over the last week or so? Like, that's really, to me, kind of scary. Talk about living vicariously. Not that I'm, you know, I'm not making fun of you if you do that. Yes, I am. I'm making fun of you if you do that. Because they immediately all said, well, what do you do instead? I said, well, there's this like ancient concept that I grew up believing in and raised my children to believe in. It's called reading. And the great thing about reading is you can do what you're doing through a screen, whether it's your computer or your television or your iPhone for that matter. There is something intrinsically better for your brain when you don't have the images flashed before you and you get to sort of design it yourself. You know, I read classics, I read biographies, I read memoirs, I read uh, nonfiction, I read fiction, I read all kinds of books. And, and to some great extent, I must admit, I now listen to a lot of books, primarily because I can listen to them while I'm walking or exercising, and I can't read them when I'm walking, right? You know, it's like, I guess some people can do that, but I can't. If I'm walking, I can listen, and I always listened to music in the past, but then Audible made my life just like, Audible's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say. Because now I go for a walk every day, and I listen to a book on audio, on Audible, right? Uh, I finished two books early last week, and then I decided, well, you know, what am I really interested in now that, you know, would be as interesting or as compelling as, say, watching a series that my friends were doing and talking about? And I thought, well, I'm super fac- fascinated by Elon Musk. Uh, I mean, I've I've read a lot about him, but I haven't really read any biographies or any kind of uh, psychological examinations of him or anything like that. So I said, well, let me, let me just look on Audible and see what's available. Well, there are do- dozens of books available, and I selected two of them, and I began listening to one 
uh, I guess last Friday, I completed it today on my walk. And I have to tell you, in my imagination, the story is way more compelling than if I had to watch some actor, you know, even a good looking actor, living out this story. Because see, I know what Elon Musk looks like. So I've simply inserted him and his image into this story. And I don't really know what Justine, his wife, looked like or uh, what his children looked like or what, you know, his partners in, in the various businesses from, uh, you know. I had no idea, by the way, just how many entrepreneurial things he'd been involved in prior to hitting it big time. I mean, he did a lot of grunt work to put together the beginnings of an empire. And of course, his first company, unfortunately, got wrested away from him by Peter Thiel. And that, of course, ended up being PayPal. And he still owned a substantial part of PayPal. But those are things that I kind of vaguely knew, but didn't know the details and didn't know the story. So, so here's my question to everybody out there. Why would I sit down and watch some made-up story about some entrepreneur when I can actually read about or listen to a story of a real person who I'm very interested in and who I'm watching do amazing things, whether it's uh, Twitter or whether it's SpaceX or whether it's online banking or any other technology. So of course now I feel better prepared when I'm talking about the news. And the news today involves Elon Musk. You know, the news just about every day involves Elon Musk in one way or another. But right now there's a new CEO. He's hired a new CEO for Twitter. A woman by the name of Linda Yaccarino who has decades of experience in the advertising industry and even has a position at the World Economic Forum. Now that would not endear her to me and I didn't think it would endear her to the billionaire Elon Musk, who's been running Twitter since he bought it last fall. But uh, he decided to hire Linda Yaccarino and said she is going to focus primarily on business operations in about, she comes on in about six weeks, he said, and he will focus on product design and new technology. Now, people are up in arms already, you know, and I can understand why, because if you don't know enough about Elon Musk, then this move may not make a tremendous amount of sense to you. If you're one of these people who thinks he's the new, you know, savior of conservatism or free speech, well, then you're not that bright, really, and you need to do some more reading and watch less episodes, right? But if you're like me and you're now beginning to amass a great deal of information, you understand that he needs to be freed from operations where he has time to do this incredible seeking out of new technology and how to put it into, into use for the betterment of mankind. Now, I don't, you know, I don't pretend that he doesn't have, you know, ulterior motives. I, I don't know that, you know, but I do know this. When left 
to design and create innovative things, technology and concepts and space travel and all the rest of it, he is unrivaled. This makes perfect sense to me. He needs Twitter to become profitable. He needs it to become a successful business so that he can create something that he believes will be better for mankind. Now, even if, you know, in the final analysis, he knows it'll also be better for Elon Musk, he will make moves that mystify everybody. And I do attribute it somewhat to his being on the proverbial spectrum. And, you know, we're talking more and more these days about people who are on the spectrum because more and more of us on the spectrum are admitting we're on the spectrum, okay? Because I think most people were never comfortable with saying, like, my mind doesn't work the way most people's mind works. You know, I believe that most of the successful radio personalities that you know and love from Rush Limbaugh to, you know, uh, just, you know, name them, have a, a little bit of ADD, a little bit of uh, being on the spectrum, a little bit of uh, manic, you know, behaviors and all this other kind of stuff because you have to be able to pivot real quickly and you have to be innovative. And I don't know that uh, that's, that just doesn't sound like most of the people I hang out with and I try to hang out with like smart people. But most of them are very limited in their ability to pivot from one subject to the next. Now, some people say, oh, well, you know, that's a sign of genius. I don't think it's a sign of genius. I just think it's a sign of a different mind. You know, and, and Elon Musk is the best example of how that kind of mind, when it looks for people to fill the parts that it simply doesn't have the time or patience for, it unleashes this incredible innovation. And so uh, I'm not upset that Yaccarino was his choice. She wouldn't have been my choice, but she has tons of relationships with all the chief marketing officers and all the advertising executives, which of course can help Twitter, which is trying to reverse a plunge of billions of dollars in ad revenue since... Elon Musk took it over. She's been pushing the ad industry for change uh, all the time. Uh, not, in, in other words, she doesn't want advertisers to be relying on ratings for measurement, whether it's Nielsen ratings or one platform or anything else. She wants people to compete for ads against social media companies right alongside of traditional media companies, right? So in other words, you're not just competing as, as a Twitter personality, as a Twitter operations manager, whatever her name is gonna be. I mean, she's the CEO. <laughs> she's gonna be the CEO chief executive officer. She is going to be responsible to make it profitable. It's that simple. Now, do I care what her politics are? I guess I do on some minimal level, but I'm much more concerned with whether or not she can make it profitable. Because if it's profitable, Elon Musk, Elon Musk is gonna come up with a lot of innovative platforms. 
on Twitter, including one which I believe will include a broadcasting component that will be much freer than the ones that exist already. And if you're like me and you love talk radio, I mean, I earn my living on talk radio and I love it, but the idea that every week I'm reporting on the fact that automobile companies, Ford being the biggest, are eliminating AM radios in cars. And in case you didn't know this, automobiles are the primary delivery system for AM radio, have always been. People tune in many times often to get a news report, to find out where the, you know, the best restaurants are. It's an information hub for people in their cars, especially if people are responsible drivers and don't want to be looking at their cell phones. I know that there are plenty who do that and text and talk and all the rest of it. But those of us who don't do that, we turn on the radio and we anticipate that we'll get the answer to certain questions when we listen to the AM band. One will be, what are the breaking news stories? Two will be, What's the traffic? You know, what's the traffic in the area where I'm driving? What's the weather outlook for today? And then talk. I get to hear talk. For those of us who can listen to music anytime, anywhere we want with, you know, uh, right on our phone, plugging MP3s into your car. I mean, music is no longer, I'm depending on radio for music, right? But talk with the exception of a couple of satellite stations that do carry talk. Talk has been, especially conservative talk, has been primarily found on the AM band, and now we know they're getting rid of us. Okay, that's not gonna exist. Now, I'm at the tail end of a career on the AM band, so I'm not terrified. If it ended tomorrow, I had a great run. You know, I don't think it'll end tomorrow, but whenever it does, I'll, that's okay. You know, uh, I'll, I'll leave the vast networking of internet radio and blog talk radio and all that other stuff. I'll leave it to young people. You know, they got the energy and the, and the knowledge to do that. I just talk into a microphone. I use computers and such, but uh, I, I, for me, this has been a very rewarding and very simple job, you know, and, and as soon as they started telling me, well, you need to post and you need to tweet and you need to this and you need to that. I started like, okay, time to retire. They didn't let me retire, but it certainly planted that seed. And if it were to be next month, it would be fine with me. And if it were to be in five years, it would be fine with me. I'm just, I'm just okay, you know, but I'm telling you that Elon Musk wasn't looking for somebody who could not just run the advertising side, uh, part of the company, but that has been a chief operating officer, uh, has skills uh, about acquisitions, about uh, marketing. And, and, you know, she was at NBC Universal for, she was at Turner Entertainment before she was at NBC Universal. And then, of course, she's been the World Economic Foreman's executive chair since January of 2019. She is their chairperson for the task force on the future of work. Okay, now you telling me that she's not a great candidate? Uh, okay, just because, uh, you know, 
she she's not a, a born again conservative according to people i don't know she was appointed by donald trump to serve on his council on sports fitness and nutrition for 2 years she was the chair of the ad council in 2021 and 2022 she's worked with the biden white house and government agencies she's worked with the business community unfortunately she created a covid-19 vaccination campaign and uh, listen she did what she was paid to do and apparently she did it very well because like way too many people got that vaccination. <laughs> so here you go. Uh, she interviewed Elon Musk on stage at an advertising conference in Miami just last month. And she encouraged him to consider allowing advertisers to have an influence on the platform's content. Now think about that. I'll let you think about it during this break because this is an opportunity and I think Elon Musk is one of the few people who can see it for what it is and is smart enough to keep her from doing anything that would endanger the product. Anyway, don't forget to uh, go to the website, 850wftl.com. Check out our contests, participate in our contests and all that good stuff. Listen online. If you got the app on your phone, it's the 850wftl app. You can hear my podcast, which will be, um, you know, downloaded very soon. I completed it. So we're just waiting until it's produced and then it'll be on there and you will be able to listen to it right at that app or on the website. Let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, so uh, yeah, so so people are worried, right? Because of course, the big issue for people like you and me is freedom of speech, and Elon Musk made that his centerpiece, and that's why he spent all that money to buy a social media platform that was pretty much uh, based on fabricated numbers, you know, on fake accounts and all the rest of it, and that doesn't refund him his forty million dollars, right? So Yakarino is being brought in, this one young woman, well, she's not young, she's my age, she's a little younger. Um, she was brought in to talk about influencing and what she means by influencing. Like if you have an open feedback loop for people who are advertising experts that can help to develop Twitter into a place where they'd actually be excited about investing more money, if they were in on the development of product, on the safety of the ads, on the content moderation, that kind of influence can benefit everybody. Now, of course, Elon Musk understands that the freedom of speech concerns that people like me and you have 
we are, hmm, it's not cool to try and say what Twitter's going to do. If it means losing advertising dollars, then they're willing to lose them because freedom of speech is supposed to be paramount. So we'll see. You know, she wants Elon Musk to uh, reinstate the Influence Council, which allows advertisers to communicate with the head honchos over at Twitter. He said, I don't think it should be an influence council. I would be wary of creating a backlash among the public because if the public thinks that their views are being determined by a small number of CMOs in America, they will, I think, be upset about that. But feedback, I think, is appropriate. At the end of the day, if somebody's spending money for their ad campaign, it needs to yield results for their organization or it doesn't make sense. Now, you see, maybe I'm more open to someone like Ms. Ziaccarino than most people because I've been in a business which is an information-driven business, an entertainment business, even though a lot of uh, radio personalities try to convince you that they're so serious and it's not entertainment. If it's not entertaining, nobody's going to listen for long. I know that. And the fact that they know it and don't say it just makes me, you know, giggle. But if it weren't for advertisers, it just wouldn't exist. And I learned that early on, which is one of the reasons why I believe I've been able to stay on the air for over 30 years. Because if you have no marketability, in other words, if there's not revenue being generated by your program, Trust me, you are not going to be on the air very long. And when you get so large that a word from you will turn a book into a blockbuster overnight number one on the New York Times bestseller list, that's advertising. That's the power of advertising. I mean, if Rush Limbaugh or Mark Levin says... You should read this book. Do you realize what happens immediately? Like I was watching Levin on, not this yesterday, but the week before when he had this North Korean um, brilliant woman who had gone to Columbia and had written a book about how, you know, she can't believe that they're teaching people to hate their country in America when it's like such a great country. So I'm listening to her interview and Levin says, everybody, you know, ought to read this book. He said, it's really a very good book. So I didn't even wait for the show to end, okay, before I ordered Wild Time Remains by Yeonmi Park. I've already finished it. I'm in the, I, I had just read The Best Minds by Jonathan Rosen, another book that I got from a radio personality uh, saying it was a great book to read. I don't even remember who that was, but that's what I did. Uh, I certainly learned about Vivek Ramaswamy by listening to him on Tucker Carlson's show and buying his books and reading all of his books. And I have read all of his books or listened to them. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say I read them when I listened to them. Um, I discovered people like Mark Stein because he would fill in for Rush Limbaugh and Rush would say, buy his books. And so I started reading Mark Stein. I mean, there's a tremendous power in an endorsement. 
especially if it comes from someone who you like and you believe. Do you, does anybody out there really believe that the people who advertise on my show don't understand that they're going to be counting on my listeners believing me? You got to believe me, right? Otherwise, you can go to any gun range you want to go to. You could go to, uh, you know, any mortgage banker that you want to go to. You could go to anywhere to get your, you know, safe. You can, I mean, it's amazing to me. You, you have so many choices when it comes to roofers, right? So for years and years and years, I talk about my sponsors, my advertisers, and apparently it really works. People who are looking for those things will say, well, you know, I'll just tell them Joyce sent me, you know. So, so I understand why someone like Yaccarino, with all those relationships with marketing officers and advertising executives, she's a benefit to Twitter. And apparently, you know, after almost finishing the first book about Elon Musk, I'm going to be reading another one after that, He's not going to let her run his company. That happened one time to him, and it has never happened again. You know, when Teal took over X, Title X or whatever the first name of his company was, and it became PayPal, and the power was removed from Elon Musk, he hung in and made lots of money, but he promised it would never happen again, and it didn't. It didn't happen with SpaceX. It didn't happen. Um, it's not going to happen with Twitter either. I can tell you that right now. So stop panicking. I'm hoping that she can jazz up those revenues uh, and make it a profitable forum. And, uh, you know, whatever she's doing at the World Economic Forum, she can be a spy for all I care. And she's worked for the U.S. government, so she understands the ins and outs of that. She's worked for Republicans. She's worked for Democrats. And I believe that Elon Musk vetted her very, very carefully. So everybody needs to calm down because I got a bunch of emails. Oh, my God. Oh, he's a baccarino. What are we going to do? We're not going to have a free speech forum. Yes, we are. Trust me. If anything, we're finally going to have one that can also make money like talk radio does. And then it can last. Unless, of course, they take it out of your car. <laughs> I'll just leave that alone for a while. So we'll see. I mean, there's a lot going on in the world of media. You had uh, Today Vice bankrupt. Uh, you had BuzzFeed no longer. I mean, all of these media companies are extinguishing right before your very eyes. I talk about that in my podcast today. How did that happen? Why did it happen? What does it mean? Well, it means that there's a big door open for Twitter. And there's a man at the helm of Twitter, for the most part. He may not be the CEO anymore, but he's certainly the brains behind the operation. There's a man who sees and seizes upon openings, just like he learned how to make a rocket. When he uh, first tried to buy a rocket or buy an ICBM from Russia, and they tried to hold him up for too much money after getting everybody drunk on vodka, he said, you know what? On the plane ride back from Moscow, he turned to the engineers and said, we're going to build one. We'll build it cheaper, and we will make money 
putting rockets into space. This was in like 2003. Come on, guys. Who does that, right? Who does that? Elon Musk. That's who does it. Anyway, let me take a break. Stay right where you are. I will be right back. Oh, jeez. You know, sometimes you just, you, you have to say that I used to t report on certain stories and people would get very upset with people like me and Robert Spencer and Pam Geller and uh, Brigitte Gabriel because we would talk about the fact that during the, uh, the George W. Bush administration and during the Barack Obama administration, there were a, you know, tens of thousands of people being dropped off in the state of Minnesota that were from Somalia. And we kept saying, now, wait a second, did we properly, you know, vet all these people? Because, you know, Somalia's been quite a mess for quite some time. There's no, um, the people coming from Somalia Forget about the fact that their religion is different than Judeo-Christian, but their whole idea of representative government or democracy is bizarre. They hate Western values. And what's so fascinating, it's been over 20 years, right? They've been here for 20 years since Bush and, and Obama. And just this weekend, you had two groups in Minnesota at a Minnesota Democrat nominating convention, okay? And the, the, this is bizarre to me. A wild brawl, I'm reading from the Daily Mail, a wild brawl broke out at a Democratic endorsing convention in Minnesota on Saturday when dozens of supporters of rival candidates clashed on stage. The convention for the Minneapolis Democratic Farmer Labor Party Ward 10 ended with at least one person hospitalized, another needing medical attention at the scene, and no endorsement. This is embarrassing, shouted convention chair Sam Doten as the ugly scenes escalated. We are shutting this down. This is no longer safe. The confrontation erupted as backers of Minneapolis City Council member Aisha Chuktai took to the stage, sending supporters of her challenger, Nasri Warsame, into a rage. Now, you know, when I would get on the air and say in those days, when you import hundreds of thousands of people who have zero concept of democracy into the country, it does not bode well. It just doesn't. I'm not saying that they're wicked people. I'm just saying they don't understand how we do things. They don't even agree with how we do things, right? Accepting individuals who come here on their own, however, who want to become Americans, that's the type of immigration plan that this country was built upon. They apply they get permission, they come in, and they achieve citizenship. I think that's a beautiful, uh, open, welcoming America, right? But when we import hundreds of thousands of foreigners who have zero concept, this is 
one of the possible outcomes, right? Like, we don't do that. We don't rush stages and beat up the, the candidates' campaign staff, or at least not often, and certainly not to this extent. If you look at the video of this, this looks like, you know how sometimes you see these scenes of, of uh, you know, these marches where uh, various groups will make a pilgrimage somewhere and, that you know, they, they indulge in all kinds of, like, you know, self-flagellation and all this stuff. And, you know, you and I look at it and go, like, why are they whipping themselves, you know? And believe me, it comes in all shapes and sizes. It could be uh, uh, Christians. It could be Muslims. It could be people who follow satanic things. I mean, people do, like, lots of uh, crazy things. We don't put an imprimatur on them, though, Right? So I'm looking at this group, this videotape on YouTube of this chaos at a Democrat nomination convention, whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't even look like a scene out of America. I mean, the fact that, you know, most of these people, certainly all of the females are wearing headscarves and hijabs and coverings. So right there, it looks a little different than your average uh, you know, city council meeting. <laughs> um, but a brawl. I mean, they're brawling. They're like punching each other. And I'm thinking when I had the nerve, and people really condemn me for this, to get on the air and say, I don't think it's a great idea to pick up all of these Somalian refugees, uh, not the least of whom was uh, Ilhan Omar, and schlep them to Minnesota. Like, why would they... I'm sure they would have never picked Minnesota, right? I, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure Minnesota's a lovely place. <laughs> or it was. You know, but, but the idea that you would take somebody from Somalia and drop them in Minnesota and expect them to become like a Minnesotan, wouldn't it be more, pra wouldn't it be more realistic to expect Minnesota to become more like Somalia? Because that's what happened. Much like... Uh, you know, Dearbornistan in Michigan when you deposited uh, so many people into Dearborn, Michigan who came from the Middle East, they changed Michigan. Michigan didn't change them. And the same could be said of groups that you might agree with. You know, was it, I guess it was Thursday when I went down to that uh event, it was Pastors for Trump, which it really wasn't. It was a Reawakening America tour, but I kind of got um, fooled into believing it was primarily this Pastors for Trump, although that was a decent portion of it, and it was the only thing I participated in. But I'm down in Miami for the first time in quite some time. My husband and I drove down there, and there's like a, a, a shift that happens when you get to a certain point in Hialeah, where all of a sudden you could easily be convinced that you were no longer in the U.S. of A. Like you are now in a part of America where the first language is Spanish, not English. Now, that's okay with the people who live there, right? And it's even okay with Republicans and conservatives because they tend to vote. Republican and conservative, and they've actually managed to turn Miami-Dade into a uh, a Republican 
part of the state. So nobody's really complaining that much about it because their ox isn't being gored. But I have to tell you, as a person who speaks both languages, English and Spanish, I don't like the fact that there are parts of my state where Spanish is the primary language. This is the United States of America. This is the state of Florida. English is our language. You can be accommodating to people and you can have uh, certainly have neighborhoods and parts of town where uh, there'll be more stores that cater to a particular population. I get that. We've always had that in this country. There's always been a Chinatown in every major city. There's always been a, you know, a Spanish Harlem or a, you name it. There's always been enclaves, clusters, unfortunately in too many instances, ghettos, where people who uh, come from the same part of the world, look alike, talk alike, uh, at times they even walk alike, they will congregate. But it doesn't change the city or the state necessarily. You just might have a pocket like that. I'm telling you, every time I go down to Miami-Dade, it is startling to me how all of a sudden I feel like I've left the country. You know, street signs, signs, uh, you know, on billboards in Spanish, you know. I, don't, I guess if you want to accommodate people, that's very nice. But what about like the poor jlub, like my husband who doesn't speak Spanish and has to get to the airport and all of a sudden like he's trying to figure out where am I? I'm sympathetic. I really am. Look, just because they vote the same way you vote doesn't mean it's okay to impact any given community and turn it into another world. You know, if when my, in, my ancestors came over here, they wanted to be Americans. They were trying to get away from, you know, communists and Nazis in Eastern Europe. They were trying to get away from um, abject poverty in Central and, 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 you know, South America. And that meant that they weren't looking to recreate their hometown at all. You know, they never, look, my grandmother, who struggled to learn English, she was an older woman when she got here, and she never really mastered the English language. She was uh, able in, you know, in later life to communicate with people. But it was not her first language. She was not comfortable speaking it. She had a terrible, you know, heavy accent which embarrassed her. She did learn how to understand it and read it, but she just didn't really ever feel comfortable speaking it. And I get that, okay? But her children and her grandchildren, who I'm one of, and her great-grandchildren, we're lucky if any of us still speak Spanish. You know, mine is limited. My kids is virtually non-existent. And my grandkids... I don't know, they, they take classes in Japanese, you know, or I forgot, I think my grandson is now learning Korean, you know, okay. I, I, I don't know how that's going to, you know, help him get a job unless he's planning on moving to, uh, you know, South Korea. Hopefully he won't want to move to North Korea. I don't think anybody does. Anyway, don't forget coming up at 1 o'clock is Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock is Ben Shapiro. At 5 o'clock, Matt Walsh, and then 
at six o'clock, the WPTV local news. You got everything ahead of you, uh, uh, Joe Pags, Lars Larson, everything coming your way all night long. And then Jen and Bill will be back first thing in the morning with the South Florida morning show. So I still have one segment left. I didn't have any guests today. I don't like to have guests on Monday because I have too much to talk about. So there's one more segment, and it's a doozy. Stay right where you are. Oh, dear. I mean, sometimes I, I just, I can't. I'm so grateful when a big celebrity that people pay attention to verifies something that I've been talking about for years. Um because it just adds credibility, not that, uh, you know, I need anybody to fact check me. I don't make stuff up. And I've been talking about San Francisco for 10 years, L actually longer. I started talking about the disgustingness of San Francisco the year my daughter got married. And yesterday was her 12th wedding anniversary. So for 12 years, I've been talking about what San Francisco has turned into, what was once considered the most beautiful city in America is now a toilet. And I say that deliberately. So I was really um, chuckling when I saw a news story about Dave Chappelle, who says whatever he's thinking. We all know that. Dave Chappelle got himself in plenty of trouble talking about... Uh, I don't know, whatever it was, transgendered or uh, I, something. Uh, drag queens, the, he got in trouble over something he said about that stuff. But, you know, they all say he's transphobic. And um, apparently he was in San Francisco last week and he was doing a show at a club called the Masonic, which, of course, I have been to, uh, but not for a long time. And there was a report in SFGate, the, the paper, that said he went to the show and he witnessed the, the writer, some guy named Dan Gentile, says he went to the show and he witnessed Chappelle's barrage of transphobic dog whistles. His comedy has taken a dark turn towards transphobia in recent years after he, he identified as turf which I didn't even know what that meant. It's apparently trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And after a turf declared that gender is an unmalleable fact and insinuated that the struggle for LGBTQ and black rights are at odds with one another. So people don't like him anymore. You know, the left don't like him anymore. But he's looking at the homelessness in the city of San Francisco, and he said, what the happened to this place? He mocked the situation in which a homeless person defecated in front of a restaurant he was eating at in the Bay Area earlier in the week, claiming that Chappelle has said plenty of irresponsible and dangerous things. The report complained that Dave Chappelle has insulated himself from criticism with a combination of incredible talent and incredible wealth like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. The writer claimed that Chappelle's jokes involving transgender individuals were insensitive and just plain lazy because the writer claimed Chappelle was relying on tropes rather than the comedian's incisive wit. 
The report noted that Chappelle repeatedly used the transgender community as a punchline throughout the performance and complained that these dog whistles had spoiled the night, even though the show was sold out and the amount of laughter in the room proved otherwise. He just won a Grammy for the best comedy album, and that was a special that sparked all the anger because he went after the transgender community. So apparently most of us here in America, we're kind of on the same page as Dave Chappelle. We don't like people defecating in front of restaurants when we're about to eat dinner. And we don't like males competing against females in sports just by claiming they're females. And, you know, most of us do have some sort of moral position, you know? And and we're allowed to to speak about it and share about it. And, and, and I'm sick of making spaces safe so that people don't feel threatened by anyone. Get over it, okay? Get over it. That's why he won a Grammy, by the way. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.